a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, Rebels and Imperials, to Force Goes Coast to Coast. My name is Brian Salvatore, and in a few minutes, I'll be chatting with Ryan Ari of Screen Crush about The Last Jedi, the final in our Five Years Later series, uh, talking about that film. But before then, I want to talk about something very, very cool. Um, I was sent a number of the new Star Wars encyclopedia titles from Fan Home. It is going to be a, hold on to your butts, 90 uh, book series. They are, they are relatively thin books. It's not like you're getting encyclopedia volumes that feel like the ones you would get from the library uh, in the uh, 80s and early 90s if you're a, uh, a listener of a certain age. They're probably a little bit bigger than your average prestige format comic, a little bit smaller than maybe uh, your standard uh, trade paperback or graphic novel. Uh, it appears that each book is about 75 pages long, so to give you uh, a sense of that. But they're they're really beautiful. They're hardcover. Uh, they're really high quality. And each one is focused on a different topic. And so what we're going to do throughout the next few months is whenever we have a little bit of time in one of our episodes, we're going to just pull one of these off the shelf and we're going to talk about the topic there. Um, I want to talk about the Naboo installment this time because, uh, first of all, I do not have all 90 of these. I was sent, I believe, six uh, to start. And so... The Naboo one is interesting to me because it is labeled as a galactic atlas. And I wasn't quite sure what that was going to mean because, you know, on this show, we've actually talked about Naboo quite a bit because we are making our way through the uh, Padme Amidala centered books that talked a lot about the politics of Naboo and how uh, Queen Amidala went from being a queen to a senator and, and all of that. So I kind of expected some of that in this book, but that's not really what this installment is. This is truly talking about the planet itself. Yes, there's a little bit of stuff here about who the Gungans are and sort of who the, you know, the more humanoid people on the planet are. But for the most part, every um, chapter, every section, I don't know how you want to call it, is focused on either a physical... Uh, piece of the planet like it's you know there's a whole section about the lake where um, Padme and Anakin go at the end of or I guess in the middle of Attack of the Clones there it there are sections about each of the buildings that we spend some time in you know the Royal Palace or the um, sort of the the hangar where uh, battles happen in the Phantom Menace as well as the uh, power generator where the uh, lightsaber duel between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi takes place. And so I really don't know if these are the type of books that you are going to sit down and read cover to cover. For a podcaster like me or someone who is just Star Wars obsessed, it is a very cool thing to have on your shelf because if you're watching a Star Wars show and you see something in there, this is a great resource material to go to and learn a little bit more. And I also wanted to say that this does not just focus on the films, although the films are uh, obviously the thrust of this, the main thrust of this, rather. There are um, places like, for instance, the last section of the book is about the secret separatist laboratory that we see established in the Clone Wars, uh, the Clone Wars TV series. And so there, there is some stuff from some of the television series in here, and... Um, it's a very interesting way to present all this information. Like I said, 
it is not necessarily at least this installment and i i purposely wanted to start with an atlas installment because i felt that that was so different than the other star wars books that we get you know the visual encyclopedias and things like that or visual dictionaries and they're called um because those are usually focused more on characters or on uh you know ships or whatever but this is very much focused on the planet of naboo so like i said for this this installment which uh when they're all lined up spine to spine will be number 60 i think it's a very interesting and useful thing to to page through to learn a little bit more about the naboo um i will say because i want to be honest in this you know these were sent to me and so i am talking about this in part because you know i like to if 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 a company is good enough to send me something, I like to talk about it. Um, but it, it, they are certainly not perfect. I wish that some of the photographs in the book were more high resolution. They look pretty chintzy in terms of taking screenshots from the film. I know it's not just screenshots from the film. But this had an opportunity to have some really beautiful photography in it. And it doesn't really do that. And then <laughs> there are these little sections, little uh, like boxes on some of the start pages that, like for instance, in the feed power generator, where is where that big lightsaber duel happens, there's a little box of a picture of Qui Gon Jinn, and he says, "We'll handle this." Dash Qui Gon Jinn. Like, there's no reason to have that in there. That just makes it look like they're trying to fill the page and stretch this out to 75 pages. And you know, some of that stuff in here does read a little bit, um, you know, cheesy or cheap. I guess. I the big thing for me is that the, some of the visuals are not are not great. But again, when you're dealing with a big volume like this, you know, there's going to be 90 of these. I understand that you maybe don't want to put as much uh focus on that. But to me, if if you're talking about Star Wars stuff, talking about planets that aren't real, you want to show them in the best possible way, not in these low resolution photographs. But like I said, I think these these are fun things to dig into every now and then and uh you know, I will continue to give my honest opinion about them as we go forward. But anyway, without any further ado, I want to talk about today's show, the third of our Last Jedi series, celebrating the film's fifth anniversary. First, Matt Liz and I talked about the characters and their motivations in the film. Secondly, Matthew Malikoff and I talked about why he's wrong in not liking the movie. But I wanted to get another critical eye on this, and so I went to my favorite current Star Wars critic, Ryan Airy. He does not just Star Wars stuff, but MCU stuff and lots of other things over on the Screen Crush YouTube channel. And his videos are incredibly well produced. They are funny. They are really, really high quality. I, I think that he is he is one of the best doing what he does on YouTube. Sometimes YouTubers doing doing these sort of um, you know, look at the Easter eggs, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, type videos can be really obnoxious and um, over the top. Ryan is never that way. His videos are funny. They are super informative. They do not waste any time. And they feature a really cute dog. I tried to get his dog, Doug, on the show, but Doug was busy that day. So I settled for Ryan instead. Just kidding, Ryan. And uh, I, we, I had a great time talking with him about The Last Jedi, about Star Wars in general. And uh, I encourage you to check out Screen Crush on YouTube. Check out Ryan's stuff. He teased a couple of Star Wars videos that sound like a lot of fun. And uh, there's one thing he talks about that is not a Star Wars video that is so in my wheelhouse, I can't believe that somebody other than me actually thought of it. 
And I'm not going to say what that is. He talks about it at the end of the interview, so you have to listen to the end. The video is up now. It went up uh, the day before this episode drops, so please check that out and uh, enjoy. All right. I am joined on the podcast today by Ryan Airy of Screen Crush. Ryan, thank you so much for making the time. I truly appreciate it. For those that haven't encountered your videos yet, how would you describe what you do over at Screen Crush? Well, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, what we do at Screen Crush is you see a lot of channels like ours. Oh, we're going to break down this nerdy thing where you just watch this. Here's all the Easter eggs and things you didn't notice. Um, what I think sets Screen Crush apart just a little bit, we tend to be a hair more critical than other channels. We're not full on like uh, blasting people, you know, just for clicks like you see some channels do. Um, but we also, I like to dive into the meaning of things, you know, like not just telling you, oh, here's this new Avatar movie. I'll start off by being like, no, here's what the, here's what the movie means. And that will help inform everything we talk about after. Because for the most part, I think these these new generation of blockbusters we have, they're a lot smarter than people give them credit for. They all do tend to have like an underlying meaning to them. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sets Green Crush apart, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I had been aware of your work for a couple of years now, but Somebody had said, because I was reviewing Andor, and somebody said, like, if you're not watching the Screen Crush Andor reviews, you're an idiot. And I I have to tip my hat to you. I mean, some of the best conversations about that show came from your videos. So thank you for those. Thanks. Andor was great, too, because Andor didn't have a lot of the member berry Easter eggs in it. So to fill time, I just got to talk about what the show meant. Like, my favorite episode of the show was the one before the heist, where... Um, Oh, the character's name slips my mind right this second, but where Andor talks to the guy um, about the brothers or about right. his brother who like mm -hmm. planted trees and stuff. Yeah. The Axe Forgets is the name of the episode. Yep. My favorite scene in my favorite episode of my favorite Star Wars show. And there's no pew 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 in it. It's just right. a couple people seeing each other for what they are. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. if you're not checking out Ryan's work, please do that. You'll be better off for it. I promise you. Uh, we are here to talk about The Last Jedi, though. This is... In my personal Star Wars canon, my second favorite Star Wars film after The Empire Strikes Back, I know that is not a universally held opinion, but before we get into the nitty-gritty, where do you sort of rank this in your own personal Star Wars rankings? Um, I have not seen The Last Jedi in quite a long time. I saw it you know, in a few times in 2017 and, and maybe bits and pieces here and there for work. Um, at the time, I walked out and said, well, that's easily the second or third best Star Wars movie. Leagues ahead of Rogue One, I thought. And I think that's comparable because Rogue One came out the year before. And it seemed like with Force Awakens and Rogue One, we were getting a feel for what the Disney one-two punch was going to be. Because remember, at the time, they were saying they're going to have a Star Wars movie every year for essentially 100 years. <laughs> right. Um, and, it, and it seemed like Force Awakens was going to be you know, giving us more of the same of things we loved and that Rogue One was going to be giving us like a more hard edge, like Star Wars for adults. Uh, Last Jedi, I think, combined the two. Uh, the thing I remember most about Last Jedi, like most people, is the blowback. I was shocked by it. I walked out of The Last Jedi and said, that was great. I thought Rose was great. She was the heart of the movie. We never really saw in these movies a firsthand account of why people were fighting, which is something that's kind of missing in the prequels. We obviously knew why Leia was fighting and Luke, you know, their families had died, but this like more personal battle for Rose and how she was just a flat out idealist who didn't really have to be in the war. You can make an argument that Luke and Leia could have done nothing else, but Rose chose mm -hmm. to be a rebel. Um, and I thought she was the heart of the movie. And then when I saw this like incredibly sexist, racist blowback on her, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, it still blows my mind when I hear people talk about that movie. 
Now, I don't think it's perfect. And if you want later on, I can get into some things that I did not like about it. Sure. Um, two or three things. But for the most part, I was blown away. Like we've never before or since seen a Star Wars movie made with that level of craftsmanship. Well, that is, I think, one of the things that gets lost in the conversation about The Last Jedi because people have these knee-jerk reactions to various parts they don't like, whether it's the, um, you know, the the misogynistic, sexist, racist stuff that comes out or whether it's the rejection of the way that Luke is portrayed in the film. People don't talk about just how beautiful that film is. There are four or five sequences in that film, most specifically the throne room fight between mm-hmm. uh, when, when Kylo Ren and uh, and Rey are teaming up against the guards there. That is one of the most beautifully choreographed action sequences in modern like sci-fi cinema, not just Star Wars, but especially in Star Wars. And you know the Holdo maneuver when the sound goes out and you watch the mm-hmm. ship do it. There's so many just really well-crafted pieces and I, I I had thought when I left the movie, even if folks don't like this, there's going to be a conversation about the undeniability of the filmmaking. And I felt that that doesn't get talked about enough even today about that movie. It doesn't. And Ryan Johnson's work in general, people are so focused on the screenplays. And I'm talking about going back to Brick uh, mm-hmm. and Looper. People are so focused on the screenplays. They really miss that this is a guy who knows cinema inside and out. Uh, stunning movie the the salt fight with you know if you're talking yes. about visuals the salt fight you know they they took something this is what last jedi does again and again they take something that was familiar oh it's a big white snow planet ah but it's salt has these red streaks there's symbolism in there with like red representing blood and the sith and all that being underneath the surface and it, how the evil of the sith is scarring up this beautiful planet but mostly how kylo ren is making those marks in the ground and luke isn't because kylo ren is lashing out creating these like you know it's like when in the first movie when he or sorry it's in this movie when he like lashes out and and it's force awakens when he lashes out his fire and and the lightsaber and there's gashes everywhere he essentially does that to the ground while luke stays above it all it's it's just a fantastic movie what what last jedi really does for me um it's a movie that's about failure and people miss this. The Empire Strikes Back is a completely, I mean, ever no, the heroes are idiots in that movie. Nobody does the right thing. Like they should have lost in that film. Mm-hmm. But The Last Jedi also had this meta commentary. It's hard to think of something to say about this damn movie that hasn't been said before. But <laughs> Last Jedi, of course, had that meta commentary about let the past die, kill it if you can, which a lot of Star Wars fans, uh, especially my age, took umbrage to because the reason we like Star Wars is because we like Star Wars when we were kids and we don't want to let go of that. So I think a lot of people, without even realizing that's what was happening, resented being told that, to put away their action figures and get new ones. But it is a movie that literally ends with a little boy playing with a Luke Skywalker action figure. So it's pretty directed toward us. Yeah, I mean, I it's funny. My friend that I spoke to for the episode about why he doesn't like The Last Jedi is he said when he left the movie, he felt like The Force Awakens was made by somebody who loves Star Wars. And the last shot was made by somebody who hates Star Wars, and I didn't oh, feel that way. Yeah, yeah, I, opposite. Yeah, exactly. Um, and to me, it's because of the just the the, the fandom of Star Wars is such that it is so tied. Into, I mean, I, I don't know how old you are. I'm 40 years old, so it is tied into my DNA in a way that almost nothing else is. You know, I I sure. can't I can't think of being a kid without thinking about Star Wars, and I think that 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 is there for people. For good and bad, I think Star Wars will always resonate with me in a more emotional way than other things will because of that. But I also know I can't be as 
um, detached from Star Wars as I can from other media because of that reason, too. And that's okay. 100%. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I do want to talk about the things you said that you don't like about the film. What are some of the problems you have with The Last Jedi? Um, yeah, absolutely. We'll get into those. Before we talk about that, though, I just want to keep a little bit more praise on it. Um, sure. And and actually, I was just processing what you were just saying, and it uh, it made it slip my mind. Um, the number here, my favorite thing in The Last Jedi, right? So when Force Awakens came out, I did not have this job. I was the type of person who took all the Force Awakens footage and edited it like that was released in trailers and featurettes, and I cut mm-hmm. it together so I could roughly figure out what the movie was going to be about. And I I, guess, I was really good at it. even back then. I spoiled the movie for myself. Uh, and I loved theorizing about Ray, and I, you know, went back and I watched that vision a bunch of times, the flashes and stuff, and who could she be, she Kenobi, and all this. And I thought that her being no one was a sh- just an absolute stroke of genius because it it immediately put our fan theories to bed. It meant that the fans were not going to be writing these movies, and it's it was the best decision for the character. It also broadened the scope of the galaxy instead of this being a saga about four or five people in a family. Like somebody in a meme once said, isn't it weird that Han Solo showed up at Darth Vader's doorstep with Vader's two kids, his droid, the droid he built and his mentor. Right. Like it's a very insular saga and her being nobody absolutely broadened the possibilities. What is it like for someone who is a blank slate, who has no history of good or evil? What will she decide? I, I remember watching that in the theater and thinking, my God, that's incredible. I even the four, the Last Jedi is the only movie Star Wars movie I've ever not seen a trailer for beforehand. I, oh, wow. if, if one came on when I was in the movie theater, I covered my eyes and I hummed and I tapped my you know head on my ears and I I would not watch a trailer for it. And I was so rewarded from that experience. So her being nobody best thing since Luke, I'm your father. It's the only twist that would have worked and it worked perfectly. And I will forever hate rise of skywalker because of the unforced error of saying that ray was a palpatine it made no sense it doesn't help with the movie at all personally i think that is related to jj abrams coming from a a hollywood power structure family and him wanting to tell a story about power structures being inherited by people i hated that like i will never enjoy watching that movie simply because she's a palpatine i thought you could see the puppet the strings of the puppeteer that being said um the Last Jedi, I think, kind of falters in a couple of places. One, it's it's a it's a unique, ambitious story because it basically takes place in a single day, which has not happened in Star Wars before. But with that, there's these things like when they go to uh, Canto Bight, great sequence, great, very imaginative world. We've never seen that in Star Wars before. The whole thing with the racing of the Fothiers and and all this, like the effects on the Fothiers weren't that hot. It just kind of felt a little wonky to me. It felt a little bit too much like, oh, we're going to go get this guy, the, the slicer, and uh, and it ends up being Benicio Del Toro. It felt a little bit too much like it was trying to usurp Lando Calrissian and and take those tropes and reinvent them for us. So the, the latter half of that sequence, I was never as big of a fan of. Um, the thing with Poe being like an arrogant guy and why should Holdo have explained anything to him? I get that. And it is like about Poe also messing up. But on the other hand, that was just because he was demoted, right? Like I I kind of like, I can nitpick that. And the other thing that bothered me about Last Jedi is anytime you watch a movie and there's so many key deleted scenes, 
Um, for instance, in this one, it was the one where Luke teaches the third lesson about why the Jedi aren't necessary. Mm-hmm. That's a great scene, and it, it probably could have stayed in the movie. But whenever you look at a movie like this and you go, boy, when you have to start cutting great scenes, it's usually an indication of the script not being that efficient, if that makes sense. And that's where like the points where it drags, like in the, the latter half of Canto Bite, some of the back and forth with Poe, and I think maybe a little bit more on that Luke Ray thing. Um, I also think The Last Jedi was dealt an incredibly bad hand. Um, we've never seen a Star Wars movie before that had to pick up immediately after the previous one. But because Force Awakens ended on that cliffhanger, we couldn't cut to a year later. We right. had to pick up in that moment. Uh, and I think Ryan Johnson did that brilliantly. Um, I also think that it was one hell of a mic drop. It, it really, I've, I've had this conversation with like actual Hollywood writers who I won't name, who also didn't like the sequel trilogy because there was no plan. Right. Um, and, and their point was after Last Jedi, where does it go from there? Um, I look at it and go, well, it's not my job to write movies. I could write you Rise of Skywalker now for fun. It might be terrible, might be good. Who cares? I'm not, I didn't get to write the movie. Um, but really strong professional writers could take that ending and do something with it. Ryan Johnson could have done something with it. And I will also say, you know, in deference to J.J. Abrams and Chris Terrio, for Rise of Skywalker, they really didn't have much time. Like Colin Trevorrow had his script, had been developing it, and they basically threw these two guys in there, and they did the best with what they could. They still yes. didn't have to make Ray Palpatine. <laughs> no. Uh, there's a lot about Rise of Skywalker that I will rant about until I'm old and gray, or older and grayer, yeah. as it were. But, um, you know, I, I, I will say that I don't know if – I don't know if I would push – if I wasn't going to push back against the efficientness of the script or efficiency of the script, rather, I think that's a good point. However, I will say that I think, I think the Canto Bite sequence is actually incredibly important to the film, even if it's not, or rather, let me change it. It's incredibly important to the characters, even if it's not incredibly important to the film. But I think that mm-hmm. the, the entirety of Finn's story in the force awakens is him realizing he's not a stormtrooper. And the entirety of his plot in The Last Jedi is him realizing he is a rebel. And he has to reject various things throughout the film in order to allow himself to do that. He has to reject the glitz and glamour of Canto Bite. He has to reject the don't join aspect of DJ. There are all these things. And I think if you, if you trim that sequence down, his decision feels less less substantial i think you have to see him basically do the thing with the fathiers to he he has to he has to tear up the city as he calls it to make a stand to figure out who he really is and so i think that's important to him as a character but i I can understand feeling that sequence maybe doesn't totally work on screen um i want to ask you about luke because as somebody who grew up with Star Wars, I, you know, and, and I know for me, like I, me and my friends would play Star Wars all the time, and we'd have stories about Luke after the, the Return of the Jedi timeline. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel with Luke, uh, you, you know, upsetting the apple cart for what you thought he was going to be? Well, again, this goes back to Force Awakens, and uh, and by the way, great points about Finn, and I'm looking forward to a rewatch of the movie where maybe those are a little bit more apparent to me on the second and third uh, viewings. Um, I sound like, like I sound like I barely know this movie. I've seen it a bunch. I made no. tons of videos about it. <laughs> Don't worry. It's just been a while. Trust me. I, I know it's my Star Wars. Um, 
Yeah, I think that with Luke, they were dealt a really hard hand from The Force Awakens. And again, you know, The Force Awakens, I walked out of that movie incredibly disappointed because I was like, it's, it's the same movie. And I know that's a common criticism, but I think it's really valid. There was no point, there was no reason to give us the same plot as A New Hope, to give us this world that, like you just said, we've been dreaming about this for years. What is episode seven? How has the galaxy changed? What does the new fledgling Jedi order look like? Did Leia become a Jedi? What, are, what Han and Leia, do they have kids? Did Luke have kids? And for us to just get a reset felt really cheap. Like I felt cheated by that reveal. And I felt cheated by Luke being a hermit at the end of that. Because I, I never saw that at the end of Force Awakens and thought, oh, Luke's got a secret plan. I know some people had that in their headcanon. I thought, well, he's depressed. He's failed, you know, because it's pretty obvious why his his nephew turned to the dark side. He said, I think they say that uh, Han says that in the movie. Yep. So the fact that, though, again, when we've been telling a story in our heads for years and when it's already been told in the expanded universe, there's not as much of a reason to tell that story anymore. So I, I think it's pretty brave in that way that they said, no, what if Luke was also a failure? My biggest problem with it is we've already seen a hermit Jedi twice. And why do we need a third one? You know, I would have sure. rather seen him doing something else. Um, there's unlimited possibilities you could do with this character. I, so given all that, given the hole that they had dug for Ryan Johnson, it was brilliant. I mean, he took this character who we myth, uh, mythologized. And is that, the, is that correct? Yes. This character who in our heads we turned into a myth, mythologized. And he said basically that the same thing had happened in the Star Wars universe. And that deep down, this this is still a person. He is a flawed human being. He didn't have the advantages of all the great Jedi training. He didn't, you know, he was still very prey to his emotions. Um, I do think all of that, the, the flashbacks with him and Ben and all, should have been the first movie. Like, <laughs> I don't know where they, like, why in the hell? Just, just so we could have this reveal halfway through The Force Awakens that Kylo Ren was Ben Solo. It, it, just put it in the movie. Just put it in. I, I thought that was stra a strange thing to do. But again, it broke the Star Wars mold because it was the first Star Wars movie to include flashbacks, you know, like, uh, which was extremely effective with that, like, Rashomon effect that they did showing everybody's point of view. It just gave us something different. Um, anyways, I, I was never depressed about Luke. I thought that, okay, cool. They've, they've got a new thing to do with him. And Mark, it's where Mark Hamill finally had the chance to show that he is an actor. Yes, like he was absolutely. phenomenal in that role. Yeah. So here's my question about Luke is, do you think that Mark Hamill publicly saying that he did not agree with these choices, did that ultimately hurt the way we think about Luke in this movie? Well, he <laughs> that quote is so, uh, it's so misquoted. He said that. When but then he, he came the script. He, right, but then he came around on it. Yes. He came around. Yeah. So I think that people who don't like the movie latched onto that and they think, oh, well, they got to Hamill and made him change his mind in public. But look, no one made him, you know, he might have been under contract. He could have gotten out of that. He could have come in and done, you know, blah, 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 one of his lines. Like if he really hated that take, he didn't have to do the movie. But regardless, he went into it and did it all the way. And also, it doesn't matter what Mark Hamill thinks. Right. And I think Mark Hamill was smart enough to realize that he is a representation of Luke Skywalker that actually exists in everybody's mind. And the creepy thing is now we're actually seeing that play out literally with the, the deep fake Lukes that we're getting in the Star Wars shows. Like we're, now we're actually seeing that the character is more than an actor's portrayal of him. Right. Which is which is really yeah. interesting. Um, so it's interesting that you never watched the trailer 
for the last Jedi. Because I actually think the last Jedi, the first last Jedi trailer, is the best trailer in the history of the Star Wars. Um, just oh, I mean, I've seen it since. Right, right. But you know, I was so yeah, excited they... for that movie because even from that first trailer, it was fucking with the expectation. The wet, you know. This is not going to go the way you think it's going to go, which is the thesis of the entire mm-hmm. movie, essentially, is in that trailer. Um, and the time for the Jedi mm-hmm. has ended. All of that is just really, really powerful, powerful stuff. And like you, I love the Luke stuff. I think that the, the ending of that movie, when you realize what Luke has done, is one of the more mm-hmm. powerful emotional gut punches in the entire Star Wars um, you know, saga. It's it's triumphant, it's heartbreaking. It's perfect. It's really, really good. And the way that movie ends, before we get to the the sort of the epilogue with the kids playing with the action figures, which is actually my favorite moment of the whole film. But mm-hmm. the way it ends is every character now has their marching orders. And I know you called it a mic drop before, and I, I agree with that. It is a it is a flashy way to end the movie. But Leia says to Ray, We have everything we need right here in terms of starting the rebellion up again. You also have Kylo Ren has been thoroughly defeated and embarrassed, and now he has to reevaluate how he is going to take all of this. I think the single biggest problem with people retroactively looking back on The Last Jedi is that the sequel trilogy, I think the only plan they really had was that the first film was the Han movie, the second film was the Luke movie, and the third film was supposed to be the Leia movie. And then yeah, they couldn't. That was really the make, problem with Chavara's script. Yeah. Right. And and they really couldn't make the Leia movie because because right. of Carrie Fisher's death. Um. And so I think if that third movie had followed, it, it, and again, you can't fault anybody for actual life happening, but I think that because right. it couldn't continue that, it has been that is part of the reason why it is not looked back on as favorably as the other, as some other films. I would have recast her. I'm I'm a big fan really? of recasting characters. Okay. I would have. Yeah, I don't understand this whole like we have to CGI people so they look like the previous actors. I don't understand um, Tony Stark and Steve Rogers not being in movies anymore. Just just recast them. It's fine. Like there are a million great actors of Carrie Fisher's generation who would have happily stepped into that role in tribute to her. Mm -hmm. Um, But and you're right. You're right. Again, fault of the sequel trilogy. The fact that like the structure of it meant we never saw the three of them together again. Um I did think that JJ did a great job incorporating what Carrie Fisher footage they had into the movie. Um, that that was very well done. The biggest mic drop, when I say it's a mic drop, what I'm actually talking about though is Kylo Ren, because where you go with that character from there is the possible. You know, there's two kinds of mic drops, I guess. There's the Michael Scott running into a, an improv scene and going, "I have a gun!" Bang, 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 and killing everybody. And then there's the the opposite, which is even harder, which is introducing unlimited possibility. Right. You know, like when you introduce this thing and you have this character who's Ray and she's no one and she could be anything. And you have Kylo Ren, who essentially has broken the mold. He's not turned evil because of the dark side, at least in Last Jedi. He's turned evil because it's a conscious decision he's made uh, to betray his master and continue to be a ruler. Like the moment when he kills Snoke. That's the first time I remember watching one of these since I was a kid and going, I have no idea what's going to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. utterly clueless about what's happening right now and it was amazing it was just to be surprised in a star wars movie because the prequels were so locked into the same format and repeating the same beats and it's like poetry and they rhyme for the last jedi to break free of that was incredible and then of course it was walked back but with kylo ren the number one question i get asked by people is well how would you how what would he do in the third movie and you could go well he should have killed leia and all that stuff i don't even 
I, I just think he tries to run the first order, you know, and he's bad at it or he, he can't control the galaxy like he thought he could. There Again, there's this whole great relate bond he has with Ray. There's so much they could have done with it. And eh, the devil made him do it. Emperor was in his head the whole time. Devil made him do it. It's pretty, pretty lame. Sorry to it keep is. talking about Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> no, but, but, but it's but hard I, not to though. When you because when you yes. talk about everything great in the Last Jedi, it's it's literally, it it's just everything is like negated in the next movie that made the Last Jedi great. Well, the first hour of the Last Jedi is essentially just piece by piece undoing. Um, sorry, the, the first hour of Rise of Skywalker is undoing the Last Jedi piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And hey Ray, you want to come with? Or yeah, hey Rose, you want to come with us? Uh no, I'm busy. <laughs> exactly. I got yeah. I gotta stay here. Yeah. I, I, there's sorry, a very no, sorry, there's a very long story. And actually, as a New Yorker, you might have been at the same press screening I was at for that movie. Were you at the press screening where the, the unnamed representative of the studio was an hour late opening the theater? Uh for Rise of Skywalker? Yes. Or Flash Jedi. Red Skywalker. Yeah, it was freezing cold. Yes. Freezing cold, right? Yes, I God, I was angry. Oh yeah, so we were in the same line together, stewing and angry together. Um, but seeing that movie, my co-host and I had made a decision that we weren't going to talk about it till we got back to our recording location, and there was a lot of traffic, so it took us like two hours to get back to where we had to go. So we had to sit and and not talk about that movie for two hours until we finally got to talk about it. And when we did, it kind of just spewed out of us. And the first thing I said was that I felt so insulted. And it's funny you mentioned the Michael, the Michael Scott thing. That's the third time that's come up in my discussion of this of this film. Of like, it, good good filmmaking is yes ending to go on an improv term, and this film is just it's no but for everything. There is there is really no yes ending anything that Ryan Johnson did, and no, not a bit. Even the mask came back. Yes, exactly. Like ev- and, every and- single thing. The, and the uh, reason the masks came back is because they were like, well, we spent time designing it. we got to keep it. <laughs> there are toys to sell. Um, you know, It's very, very frustrating to, to have that happen. But I think that the abject disappointment of The Last Jedi, I think, is going to eventually give... Not The Last Jedi. Uh, I, keep, I keep messing this up. Of Rise of Skywalker is going to retroactively f- help The Last Jedi's um, reputation going forward. Like, I think... I think 10 years from now, when everybody can maybe put the emotions of the films behind them, I think The Last Jedi will be better received than it's been up to this point. And I think folks maybe will be able to have a more critical, celebratory relationship with the film. Um, But we're not there yet. So where I want to sort of wrap this up is, what is it about The Last Jedi that stands out to you the most now? What is your overriding memory of it? And maybe what is your, what do you think, where do you think that this will fall, you know, 20, 30 years from now in the Star Wars canon? Um, the thing when I think about Last Jedi that always stands out to me is the cinematography. Uh, I don't even think that's necessarily its greatest strength, but it's so striking and so stunning. Even the way characters are constantly framed in the middle of the screen, looking straight at the camera. I think, you know, Leia does that, Luke does that, and it just uses this, like, rep- repetitive motif. It just it works so well. It's such a beautiful movie. The throne room fight, like you mentioned, and usurping all the tropes that we thought we were going to see. Um, I think that in, well, let's say, 20 years, people 
it'll be a universal consensus that The Last Jedi is the best Star Wars film. Um, and, and it's nothing against Empire. I think Empire is brilliant. A lot of it is dependent upon context and love of the original trilogy because it's such a, a game changer. Um, I would never put Last Jedi above Empire, but I think when somebody is just like a lover of film and they go back and they look at these movies like objectively, Last Jedi is clearly the best made film and the best performance is like, oh my God, you want to talk about really all three of these movies, including Rise of Skywalker, the acting in the new in the sequel trilogy is so far and above any Star Wars movie. Oh yeah. I think like uh, the performances that Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley and, and everybody like John Boyega was criminally underused in these films. And Poe Dameron is that character we needed in the prequels, that kind of charming every man who's really a, a screw up kind of like Han always was in the first movie that, terrific performances see i think people remember the last jedi very fondly like film i I don't think that force awakens and rise of skywalker will necessarily be put in the library of congress film registry (laughs) but i think the last jedi will yeah i think that's probably a a fair a fair take on it um well ryan thank you so much for doing this i i really truly appreciate it i am going to be checking out your work at screen crush every week you guys are posting more than one thing a week now i don't know first of all i don't know how you sleep with putting together all those videos but you know congratulations well, on it i'm not alone uh, i'm gonna go <laughs> ahead and tease a couple of things for you we do have a great staff we've got two full-time editors um uh, two people who will write and edit their own things and i just the face of it all and other freelance writers like we've really been slowly gathering up a really really talented crew who knows this stuff inside and out we put a video up every weekday sometimes more when a big marvel movie comes out i don't sleep uh, the Wakanda Forever, <laughs> Wakanda Forever kind of broke me because I had to cut that one all by myself. We got Avatar coming up, and of particular interest for Star Wars fans, I'm just gonna peruse the calendar because I got a couple things I'm really excited about. Um, we have, well, it's not Star Wars, but a movie about why Muppet Christmas Carol is better than Thor: Love and Thunder. Um, looking, I'm very excited about that one. That you have um, sold me, you have sold me so hard on that. My goodness, wow. It's, it is. I've got I, I've got one scene in each movie that's very. The movies are more similar than you think. I'm actually like my wife and I were just talking last night. She's a dramaturg and she briefly brought this up and I was like, oh my god, and like outlined the whole thing. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but the two that I'm looking forward to coming up, we've got a video about George Lucas and how the prequel trilogy was all about his midlife crisis. Um, really excited about that one. We're covering the Bad Batch. Uh, should be every week. We'll have an Easter egg video coming up. Uh, and there, okay, so there's this video that I, I'm reluctant to even mention it. It's because uh, I've been working on it off and on for years, but it's it's Disney, Star Wars, Mandalorian, everything, and all the cinematic breakdowns of uh, uh, all the cinematic references that those movies use. Because one thing that Favreau's done is he and, and everybody have said, well, let's go back to the things that influenced George. So it's not like that show is just being like, here's Salacious Crumb and here's a Kowalkin Monkey Lizard. They're actually like going deep cut references to George Lucas's filmography and, of course, to um, other things like samurai films, Western, stuff like that. And actually, I got an Easter egg for you. I've never put in a video because I didn't find it till last night. I was watching American Graffiti, uh-huh. and there's a scene where this girl is riding around with the local bad boy, and she loves his gear shift knob, and he gives it to her as a present. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> I never caught that. That was uh, Grogu in The Mandalorian. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that is that is a fun Easter egg. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, and if folks want to find you, do you do you tweet? Do you have social media of any kind you want to share, or or just find you on YouTube? I'm on 
I'm on Twitter for now. <laughs> See what, <laughs> who knows how every day it's like, I'm like, Oh, is this the day? Um, but yeah, I'm on Twitter. My name at Ryan Airy, super easy to find. The, the YouTube channel is screen crush posted video just about every day. Got avatar stuff coming out right now. Watch rewatch that original avatar. It's better than you remember. I've never seen it actually. Uh, <gasps> I, I, I've so I, I've never seen it. I have no desire to see it, but I decided I'm going to watch the first two before the third one comes out. Just, They're pretty, man. They're even the stories are a little simple, but technological, mind blowing. All right, you you've given me more uh more desire to do this, so I will I will make that a mission over the next few months to watch at least the first one. Uh, for me, <laughs> thank you. <laughs>